0: From your exact location, we proudly present to you, your host for tonight, here's Ainsley!
1: And welcome to Price Tag Pod, where we attempt to put a price tag on your dignity. I'm your host, Ainsley Blakely-May, and I'm joined by my guest for this evening. My next guest has a fascination with the Eastern way of life, from the complex way they cook to the minimalist way in which they live. Honestly, this guy is running through his last pair of skin marked underwear. Someone please buy a special. Ladies and gentlemen, the cat caressing juggling giggle man, the three shirt sensation that is Ollie Horn. Welcome to the show, Ollie.
2: <laughs> wow, you said you had an intro
1: and you didn't disappoint, did you? Never do. Man, it's, really, <laughs> it's a real struggle trying to say juggling giggle man because I nearly called you jiggle man, which would be really offensive.
2: Well, to, to be honest, that, that, that's also fair enough. Um, I actually used to do a, a joke when I used to perform stand-up comedy in Japanese uh, about how um, I was um, I was communicating with my then uh, ex well not then ex girlfriend at the time at the time she was my girlfriend that would have been weird yeah. and um, she she tried to describe uh, like my body shape in English um, and she used the word wobbly which <laughs> is perfect I mean it's 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 wrong uh, you know like no native speaker would say that but it's perfect. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, I think jiggly wobbly, uh, that's fine.
1: Uh, the clip that I saw of your comedy, uh, you compared your love life to that of a trampoline.
2: Oh, <laughs> remember that? Uh, yeah.
1: Do you want to burn that one real quick?
2: Oh, for sure. Yeah, well, I, I just say that, uh, you know, when you, when you travel as
1: a comic, you're often
2: performing in front of couples. And I realized that in many ways, girlfriends are like trampolines. I really want one. Uh, but as my mum said, I've always been too big to enjoy one properly.
1: I really enjoy that. It's a real simplistic couple lines. Perfect. Gets to the point. No one gets hurt but yourself. It's perfect. Um, So, yeah, why are you downsizing on clothes? Like, how did that happen? You haven't bought clothes for 12 months.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, so you you asked for an interesting fact. And the thing is, this last year, not much interesting has happened, right? I think most people have just been treading water. Uh, But I've been based in Malaysia now. So I I was here uh, in February last year, just before uh, the pandemic uh, went viral so to speak and um and I, and I realized that I've just not I've not bought a single item of clothing here in the last 12 months and I think it's partly because like I don't fit in local in local sizes like <laughs> I'd have to go to a speciality store uh, and that's um that, that's a level of uh confronting a personal dignity that I'm probably not ready for um and also you know I've just I've just kind of been living quite modestly and this country's so hot you can just get by with t-shirt and shorts and um. And so, yeah, I've, I've just I've realized I've not spent a single penny on any clothing
1: for the last last year. Yeah, so it's kind of accidental, really. But making a point of it now. Yeah. Is cool.
2: Oh, yeah. It wasn't one of these like, oh, I'm going to turn minimalist. But, I, you know, I have realized that having less stuff is better because uh, I've, you know, I, I never planned to stay here for, for as long as I have. And so I've moved to a couple of different places in my time here here mm-hmm. uh, and every time i've tried to shed stuff you know like a like a snake does with a layer of skin and just leave leave the past behind uh, so i'm i'm trying as hard as i can to to get everything down to just one
1: suitcase but it's very hard it's like in in my life right now we're living in stockholm and we're moving up to the countryside and over this over the time i've kind of gathered a few things together but i mean i left to, i moved to sweden when I was 21 with one suitcase so i don't have much things whereas my girlfriend has a, a much larger collection of items and things than than i do um she's working all the time and i'm not so she's basically packing bags to send to the charity shop, but she's too busy to go down so there i am like bringing down like crates and shit down to the charity like oh anything i could do to help you know (laughs) taking (laughs) taking the shine there just so we can downsize all right you ready to play ollie oh i'm ready i can't wait nice all right real simple start Uh, how do you want to do this you want to do it in dollars do you want to do it in pounds euros
2: uh I'm happy to go dollars. I'm happy to be international. I could even. I think I could even do it in ringgit now. I think I'm accustomed to the Malaysian ringgit. But let's do US dollars.
1: I almost set up so we could do yen, but I I don't know how to follow that system because you live in Japan.
2: Oh man, and I did live in Japan, and also you you can make mistakes with that. I actually saw there was a post on Reddit uh, yesterday of a guy that took his. uh... In fact, not uh, not yesterday. This is going out in in April, so uh, a couple of months ago, I saw this, Um, and um, this guy was in a restaurant in Valentine's Day and he made a mistake between 80,000 yen and 800,000 yen and spent, eight, spent $800 on a bottle of wine rather than $80. And um, I've had that kind of mistake before, not at that scale. But yeah, Japanese yen's really hard because there's loads wow. of zeros.
1: Okay, Yeah, I would skip on the wine. Well, there we go. All right, so we'll, do, we'll go with dollars because that tends to be the easier format to follow because everything's set around that. So we'll do dollars, shall we? Yep. Okay, $10. Ollie, would you take three shots of olive brine? Olive
2: brine. The olives are in. I for $10, I guess so only because I would be interested to know what it tasted like. And that would be, you know, that would be a shot. And then once you're a shot in two more shots is not that much harder, is it? So yeah, I'd I'd probably do that. So you're not really an olives guy. You don't eat olives often. No, I'm not. I'm not an adult yet. I haven't. A lot of people talk about how they reach a moment in their, you know, in their twenties that they suddenly like olives. Uh, but I turned 29 during the pandemic, which I think still means that I'm in my mid-20s. Uh, so I, I haven't had that moment yet.
1: I got it when I was 24 out of nowhere. I was nowhere near olives. I hadn't had olives since I was like 18. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, olives. Well, okay. And then I bought a massive tub and just nearly ended, ended, ended my life just eating olives. Wow.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, maybe, yeah, maybe I wouldn't enjoy the taste, but I'm assuming I wouldn't hate it. And i would be interested to know if I'd like it. So, yeah. Ten dollars, please. How about eight dollars? Um, to be honest, I think I would just do it. Like if someone says, "Do you want to try olive brain?" I'd do it. I, you know, I'd, I'd take the shot.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and then if part of taking the shot is, "Oh, sorry," it comes with two more free shots. Like, okay, I'll take the free shots. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have the, the round.
1: I'll give you four dollars. How's that?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, at this point, it's um, it's almost insulting. It's almost like, like if you just pay for it. If you just pay for the olive brain, I'm happy with that.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll pick the Brian, but I just want to throw like a couple like quarters at you when you're doing it. So I'll I'll throw $4 right, okay. worth of quarters at, at. I mean that way. is
2: a, a comedian that's been out of work for a whole year in the pandemic. It's kind of insulting. Uh to go, I can just I can just <laughs> throw spare change at this guy for the lols.
1: But I can still do that, right? Yeah, why not? Okay, cool.
2: $4.
1: <laughs> a lot of these questions I just made up when I was I mean, I've been doing a lot of cleaning like the past week. So I've been vacuuming Okay, so for twenty five dollars, Ollie, would you eat a handful of dust out of your vacuum cleaner?
2: no that's ridiculous
1: you don't have to like okay, maybe not eat to swallow, but keep it in your mouth for like five seconds
2: No, I think that's ludicrous. why so because uh, I mean dust dust is the the kind of the holy grail of dust. I watched a uh, YouTube documentary on dust men uh in the sixties, I've got a lot of time on my hands. Of
1: course, you did,
2: yeah. And they used to just collect dust. No, but they, they used to just collect dust. Right, the reason that they called dust men is because it was dust that people would throw out. It's not like today where people throw out like three or four huge bins of like plastics and packaging and stuff. People would clean their house. They would have dust. And they'd put that in their dust bin and that's what would be collected. And, and this documentary showed, maybe it was the, it wasn't, maybe it was the 60s or the 70s. I'm not quite sure. But then again, it was in black and white. So maybe it was earlier than that, whatever it was, there was a moment where this dust man, and it was a man, so not a dust person at the time, uh, was talking about how, uh, yeah, like people are starting to throw away bigger and bigger things as people are uh, throwing away packaging too. So yeah, dust is, is, is the, the, yeah, it's the pinnacle of dirt. It's the dirtiest thing. No, thank you.
1: How about you snort
2: a line of dust? Um, <laughs> um well that's interesting because i suppose i would do anyway wouldn't i i suppose yeah. just by breathing i'm breathing a lot of dust um but what's your price forty dollars
1: no it's 25 25 dollars 25 dollars.
2: oh yeah no way
1: that's ridiculous 35 one line uh, you're gonna have to
2: you're gonna have to start in the hundreds
1: wow you're a clean freak
2: <laughs> i'm definitely not a clean freak but i i mean i, I think it's just a question of risk management right i'm pretty sure you'd feel and also just having like spent quite a lot of time in southeast asia i'm not very good at like dust and air conditioners and like i like, it makes me sound so weak but like i think i've got some sinus issues uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, after after the first six months of living in japan i had to go to an ear nose and throat specialist and they had to like stick something up my nose and remove something and apparently yeah. it happens to a lot of westerners that move Asia for the first time because we're not used to air conditioners, right? Like I've, I don't think I've ever like seen an air conditioner in someone's home in the UK, whereas in Japan they're everywhere and they're on all the time because it's really hot. And he says, yeah, it's very common. Wow, I didn't know like that was an issue. Yeah, yeah. Apparently we, we, we didn't, we just don't adjust to them very well and air conditioners I presume do filter the air somehow, but maybe they do recycle the air. I don't really know what the cause for it is, but
1: um, yes, sinus issues means that I'm afraid I'm not going to take you up on this particular wager. How about I throw in a hundred, so one hundred twenty-five?
2: I would snort a little bit of dust for one hundred twenty-five dollars, as long as I could video it and kind of use it as as content. You know, people can see. People could see. I think if it was in the privacy of my own home,
1: doing it like I were an addict, I think that'd be quite tragic. Mm -hmm. Let's say it's a line length of your pinky finger, and it's. Not that not that fat, I don't know, like maybe a third of your pinky finger in girth for the length.
2: Uh, That's a lot of dust, isn't it? But I suppose if I snort it, I can just kind of spit it straight out, can't I?
1: Yeah, I'm sure you can.
2: Um, do you know what? I think because I think they're going to get worse from this and I think because the stakes are going to get higher, I think I'm probably a bit foolish to take the $125 offer. So I think I'm going to say no. Still
1: no. Hmm. Is the quantity of the dust an issue? I think it's the
2: quantity of the dust. I think that amount of dust is inevitably going to make you ill. I think that's what it is. I think if it was slightly less dust, I think I'm almost certainly going to feel the effect straight away and feel ill and bunged up immediately.
1: I can half the dust for
2: $200. I still think it's going to be a no. I think, I think something like $500 for a third of my pinky finger, right? And I will concede that I may end, end up actually ingesting some. Then you got yourself a deal.
1: If you film it, we'll call it a deal. Okay. All right. I'm not
2: doing it, but fine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I have no money. No, no one has any money. So one question I had to ask you with a questionnaire, though, was what foods do you like and foods do you dislike? And the only answer you gave me was mushrooms. Yes. Is that a pro or a con mushroom?
2: Oh, I do, do, cannot stand mushrooms, really cannot stand mushrooms. And I don't really know why. And it's always quite embarrassing because sometimes I've gone, like when I was a student, I went to a couple of like nice dinners that were like sponsored by law firms that were trying to court all the law students. And sometimes the starter would just be one massive fuck off mushroom on a plate. <laughs> it's really hard to eat around that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, really, really not a fan. And there's a lot of mushrooms in Japanese cooking too. And, yeah, there is, And yeah, I can't say I'm a fan. And people
1: say, oh, is it the texture? Is it the taste? It's everything. Don't know what it is. Because I recently bought a pack of mushrooms. I, I love this Thai store that I live near. Um, and they are called, I mean, the old word for them was called Jew ear mushroom. Um, I don't know what the Japanese word is for that. But um, the story behind those and how they were named is basically they normally grow on dead elderflower trees, like an elderwood. And supposedly it was Judas himself who was hung on an elder tree. Right. So it's a Judas ear mushroom shortened down to Jew ear mushroom. And they look like ears. Wow. They are gross. <laughs> they, they look disgusting. Yeah,
2: of course they are.
1: They're a fungus. Well, I haven't tried it yet. I, will, I have them in my fridge. I will try them soon. Mm.
2: If this is going to be like a monetary thing, obviously I've, I have had to eat enough mushrooms
1: just to be polite in social situations. So. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you a choice of mushrooms here. So those ones which I just described, okay? Yeah. This is another... Um, by the way, I'm a, I'm a mushroom nerd, so I know a lot of oh, stuff. Really? Mushrooms oh, really?
2: I've, I've, I've picked the wrong fight here. Yeah,
1: no, it's fine. I also like the, the signs behind it, too. Like, th- this is a really interesting fact. There's a type of mushroom called the spitgill mushroom. It's called Schizophyllum commune. It's on every continent of the world, apart from Antarctica. So it's one of the most common mushrooms in the world. In the 50s, they found it growing on a human being on his toenail. Oh, come on. It is a fungus. It's it's an edible fungus. It's a mushroom. You can even find it in certain medications.
2: Everything's edible if the price is right.
1: Isn't that the the,
2: the whole (laughs) whole premise of your podcast? (laughs) I think the word edible is redundant there.
1: In the 70s, they found it growing inside of a young girl's lung. And in the 80s, they found it growing inside of someone's brain. So this mushroom has been known to eat away at humans. There's a few mushrooms that do it. This one specifically yeah. um, is known to do so.
2: It's it's a spirited
1: mushroom, isn't it? It's 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 a right resilient. It's biting back. Yeah. So with that layup, Ollie, for fifty bucks, <coughs> would you eat a small plate of Schizophyllum commune, mushrooms, or jew ears mushrooms? Your choice.
2: Well, I I, I would try the the ears mushroom because I like I I'd love to one day find a mushroom that I like. So yeah, I, I would try it. The one which um like becomes part of your body i was quite persuaded by this book that i read which basically said that we as humans we're so egocentric we think the world revolves around us but really humans are just there as vehicles for parasites to thrive Correct. and like the best the best humans are the ones which like allow um you know microorganisms to thrive and so on that basis like i guess we just have to concede that like yeah the, the mushroom may be the victor and 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 so I guess my question is, if I were to ingest it, does that give like, is that like a Trojan horse? Is that inviting the mushroom into me to to then kind of set up shop and go, hey, this body's mine now. So that's where well, it's I,
1: allowing it to.
2: It is. So that's where I'd have some reservations, I think. I think the first mushroom, um, despite the fact that the name, um, maybe we can do with updating it. Uh, For sure. But the, yeah, the, the name aside i would i'd, I'd try it right because I, I you know i would just try it because i, I want to find a mushroom i like but i would probably not have the second type of mushroom the one which may um which which may end up being like the plant in little shop of Horrors. <laughs> just just <laughs> taking over
1: for yeah for 50 dollars i can even make it in like a little batch of miso soup or something like that make it a little bit more palatable oh yeah that'd be
2: nice yeah i'd like that yeah i'd like that yeah I'd like, i think where the flavor is completely hidden and like i'm sure i've had like i've had a beef wellington where there's been mushroom around the outside and it's, and it's noticeable and i don't enjoy it but it's like yeah well you know, I've, you know i'll i'll take it um so yeah in a, in a miso soup I'd, 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 I'd be happy with that
1: would you be happy for 35 dollars no soup and $35? I, so, so for 35 dollars
2: so just for that first mushroom
1: yeah, we're just eating the. It's woodier. It's a modern day. Oh plant yes, plant yeah, plant. yeah, 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 definitely, yeah, definitely. You got yourself a deal there. Yeah. Thirty-five bucks, nice. Let me get a bowl of miso soup. Everyone wins. Yeah, very nice. Did you really enjoy Japanese food while you were living there?
2: I did. I, I really did. And, um, I, unfortunately, it's made me a little bit snobbish when I'm in other countries. So, like, I, I'm not particularly excited when I go to a sushi restaurant uh, unless it's a particularly good one, because there is. I mean, there is nothing like freshly made, good quality sushi in Japan and good quality sushi you can get very affordably. There was this one sushi place I used to go to after a night out. It was open 24 hours a day and, you know, there would just, just be a guy. He would shape the rice balls with his hand and I would always get the um, the medium fatty tuna, uh, you know, so like raw tuna and, and salmon and it would just come out instantly. And it was just so delectable, it was so delicious. And I've just never found anything that matches that. So I'm a little bit snobby, unfortunately, and I hate myself for that. Uh, but what I also like about Japan is Japan's really good at like fast food. So like Japan's excellent at frying stuff. They've got thing, what they call the kroke, which is a... Um, what is it? It's like minced, minced not minced, uh, mashed, almost like mashed potato, which is fried. That sounds awful, doesn't it? But it's delicious
1: no it doesn't I, I i make something similar myself oh, I think.
2: okay cool and yeah. uh karage, which is their fried chicken which is i think possibly the best fried chicken in the world um yeah i, I think what people underestimate about japan is the diversity of food which japan has because you've got to remember like japan is geologically such a varied country right like there's There's loads of coastal parts, obviously, because it's island, but there's also like places where there's a lot of rainfall because there's a lot of mountains. Uh, There's, you know, very, very cold parts such as Hokkaido. There's kind of tropical parts such as Okinawa. And so there's such this huge breadth of different uh, food, which is grown locally that you you do get, you know, just these, this, this, this most incredible variety of what can sensibly still be called Japanese food. And, and I always think the Japanese restaurants outside Japan never really seem
1: to do that justice. I always struggle with people coming back from their, what do they call it, like a gap year from India or <laughs> oh, Pikesh yeah, or yeah. somewhere. And they can never have a curry again. No. And it's like, they're not they're not doing as humble as yourself because you're giving me a very solid reason as to why the food that you eat there isn't the same here. And I, I totally understand. I've been around to different places and tried different foods. Some of it was just shit, but the thing is, it was at least it was shit there and not shit in Cornwall where <laughs> I'm from you know. <laughs> right. What's the, um? what's Japanese like pickle culture? Do they have like good pickled foods? Yes, they do. I mean, almost, almost
2: every bento box, which is their kind of lunch boxes that you, you spend about $5 and you'll get some kind of protein with rice. It almost invariably comes with some kind of pickled vegetable. Um, likewise, tempura restaurants, which is where they uh, fry vegetables and sometimes meat, sometimes fish in a very light batter. They often, you know, that'll be served with pickles too. So yeah, huge pickling culture. I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense, right? Any country like Japan where people were not just settling near the coast, but also settling in the mainland, they had to have ways of preserving uh, fresh um, vegetables. So, yeah, that, that's kind of existed for years and years and years. But I, I can't say, you know, it's only been in the last maybe two or three years that my tastes have matured and I've enjoyed a pickle in a Big Mac. Now, I, I hate to take this conversation yeah. from the highbrow to the lowbrow, but I think it's important. That's
1: all right. Need to include the whole audience. I w-
2: I would almost invariably um, order the Big Mac without the pickle, but now I actually think it is an integral part of the of
1: the sandwich. Absolutely. I mean, especially in uh, I mean, Eastern European cuisine, there's a lot of pickling going on. There's a lot of coleslaw. and I mean, you live in Berlin. You recorded your special in Berlin, yeah. but um, yeah, p- pickling is a. I mean, even in Sweden, we pickle a lot to get through. There's just not much of a pickle culture in the UK, from from my knowledge, anyway. No, but we use the word pickle, don't we? When, when there's a problem. When you're caught in something, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're in a pickle then. All right, Ollie, a hundred bucks. Uh, this is a little bit uh, self-deprecating here. For a hundred bucks, Ollie, would you stick your penis in a jar of pickled jalapenos? Again?
2: Uh, Again? <laughs> would I stick my penis in a jar of pickled jalapenos? Uh, well... Why would I do that? i do that for a hundred bucks. I guess that's the premise, isn't it? Uh, Would I stick my penis in a jar of pickled jalapenos? So, some questions. Are we going to discard these jalapenos or am I playing a nasty trick on someone? I think they should be discarded. Okay. Um, I mean, there's no comment on the cleanliness of my member, but uh,
1: I think it's important to have some basic food safety.
2: And do jalapenos cause itching?
1: It's not something that I've ever... Tried myself. I can imagine that there would be a slight tingling sensation the first. Might feel nice. Know, a couple of.
2: Okay. Final question. How is this like a dip? Is this a dunk?
1: What What are we talking? It's a. <laughs> I'm trying to think about like when you're a kid and you go to the beach and uh, you go to the rock pools and you collect fish. Okay. This is a very
2: cornwall thing to say, by the way.
1: Yeah. So you have like a rockfish at the bottom of this uh, bucket of water. And you stick your hand in to grab the thing and you pull it up again. You know, there's a little bit of resistance with the water there. Okay, so it's, so it's very quick. But it is a dip. It's a dip, but it's pretty quick. Okay. You know? And is anyone watching me? Are you just going to trust that I've done it? I mean, I can, I'll be behind you probably. Well, what are you doing? I'm just making sure that my money's being spent in the right place. Okay,
2: yeah, all Right then. <laughs> $100, I'm not even going to haggle. Because I, okay, for- I think this says more about you than it does me. That you, that you want to make sure you're standing
1: behind me okay to make it a little bit more simple i can give you 80 bucks but i will place um a jar of coles uh, jar of uh, sour cream next to it to relieve <laughs> so, to so, such so, so, so,
2: ne- next you're gonna put some shredded chicken and eventually we're just gonna turn my willy into a burrito. Uh,
1: Rolling the sesame seeds.
2: Uh, you know? uh, no, I, th- I actually think now it's being placed from one thing to another. It's, it's almost, it's almost becoming. There's almost like a mechanization of this. It's almost like it's no longer fun and spontaneous. Therefore, I will reject your offer.
1: Well, let's just remain with uh, hundred dollars for the pickles. Yep. Okay. Alrighty.
2: I'm so glad this is a podcast where you don't now pull out a jar of pickles. Yeah.
1: I'm too far away. <laughs> Am I right, ladies?
2: <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay.
1: Well, I got it. I mean, I think now's a good time to talk about your comedy career and stuff. Um, what's the biggest audience you performed in front of? Oh, that, well, p- probably a TV audience uh, in Japan,
2: and who knows what that is. But in terms of people, maybe. Well, when I was younger, I was in a play, and that was in the theatre or bath. That must have been a thousand or so. In terms of stand-up comedy, I've done some bigger theatres, but maybe not that big. So not massive, you know. I've never like done a stadium or or anything like that. I did. I did once perform comedy at a at a very small stage in a music festival in Japan, uh, which had quite an audience, but they weren't they weren't a very a very attentive audience. But I don't <laughs> think they count. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I'm. I don't. I'm afraid I don't have a. Um. I don't, I don't have a big answer for that.
1: I'm afraid. That's fine. No, that's just to set up my next question. But uh, I'm just interested about because obviously you spent so much time in Japan. Were you considered to be some sort of a novelty, some something exotic as a foreigner?
2: um yeah i suppose i mean so So. yeah so i should say that i think if you go to tokyo that, that, that tokyo is a very cosmopolitan city and uh you know you just you just wouldn't get a second glance but uh, i was living in kyushu which is the southernmost island of japan and in Fukuoka, the capital that's quite cosmopolitan it would be quite rare that i'd be you know occasionally people would um just stop and want to have a chat with you but the more kind of rural you'd go Um, And I did do some work for some local TV companies that took me to some quite remote places uh, and some quite, um, you know, fairly impoverished towns, um, you know, that that were kind of struggling in this kind of post-industrialization world. There, I I, I would say I was a novelty. And, you know, for many people, I was definitely the first non-Japanese person they'd ever met and they would tell me as much. And that's, that's kind of quite interesting, right? Um, but you do kind of like, then you feel like the representative of the whole of the rest of the world, uh, <laughs> which is, is quite a lot of responsibility. Yeah, to quote yourself, big responsibility. <laughs> yeah, yeah, big, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I suppose, you know, I, I have to be honest, you know, the, most of the, the work which I was getting on television or radio was by virtue of the fact that I wasn't Japanese, that they wanted a non Japanese person that could speak enough of the language to, to get by. So, yeah, I mean, to that extent, I was, you know, I, I was the diversity hire. Um, yeah, but generally, my life was in Fukuoka, which is a, quite a cosmopolitan city. And, um, you know, a, num- a number of non Japanese people living there, not, you know, not just Western, but Chinese, Korean,
1: and uh, also people from, you know, Latin America. And I had friends from all over the world. Yeah, that, that's interesting, because listening to your comedy, it's like, you don't consistently go over the differences between yourself and the people that you're surrounded by. It's like living in Sweden here, there's a lot of foreigners from um, say New Zealand, from Australia, the UK, America and such. I've seen a lot of comics. Um, There's one specific comment, I'm not gonna mention his name, but most of his shtick is just about, oh, isn't it funny how Sweden is like this? And then you come over as a foreigner and this is my experience. And it's like every joke he does seems to be more like a divide. It's like, oh, isn't it just quirky how you Swedes are like this and such and such? And like, mm. he's built his entire platform around that. I just find it very like. Well, what else do you got? You know,
2: well, it's a, it's a very common very
1: common tactic. I, I think I think a lot of comics do do do, do that kind of thing. Yeah, but do you, I, do you like know of any stand-ups in, in Japan that are doing this? Like, oh, oh yes, definitely. I mean, there's there's one which I am happy to name. Uh, his name is um,
2: he goes by the name Atsugiri Jason. And that's a pun on, um, on on the word thick cut bacon, which is atsugidi bacon. His name's Jason, so he calls himself Atsugidi Jason. And he he does have, you know, he became extremely successful, he's an American guy, with a kind of a why is Japan like this? In fact, his, his catchphrase was why Japanese people, you know, your your writing system really, really fucked up from my perspective. And it was kind of very very ranty comedy. and uh, he did incredibly well with it, but but it is. You know, it was for the longest time a kind of a a one trick pony act, and I think like I think that comedy has its place. Like it, it's it's quite popular to to kind of shit on people like that, but you have to respect the fact that he's doing something right because he managed to get mainstream and he captured the uh the imagination of, of of his very very large audience. And I definitely think there's a place for that. And I think this happens in the UK too. You know, you, you'll have international acts. Uh, such as the Henning Vane is a really good example. He's an excellent, excellent comic, uh, but he will often, you know, use his Germanness to kind of give him this outsider's uh, perspective on on the UK. Uh, another example is Marcel Lecom, which is a character act um, played by Alexis Dubitz, but he plays a Frenchman, and again, audiences love hearing what they think is a French person talk shit about their local town. So I think having that kind of outsiders. Um, perspective does give you a a little bit more leniency, a bit more leeway to to kind of talk shit about the country uh, that you're in. But I try where possible to not talk about differences so much as similarities because I kind of think that's funnier. Like I I, I kind of think it's funnier to see like common traits between like different religions, let's say, Um, you know, like we're so used to hearing conversations about religions Dividing the world, but actually, I think it's quite funny that some religious practices are almost identical. We just call them different things, or some myths are, or um, you know, like different um, cultures and d- different cultures, different, different countries. And I, I think there's definitely a, you know, th- there's a move in in comedy which I think is absolutely a correct one, which is to make sure that you don't willfully offend. And that's not something that comics, even twenty years ago, could could say a hand on heart that they that they take care of, right? And, and I do think it's important that. You know, you've got to remember that people have come out for a nice night out and it's possible to upset them. But I think if you're talking from a perspective where you do actually, you do come across as someone that's really given this some thought. And you're not just saying this to mock or to prod. but You're saying this because you've spent enough time learning about that country's culture uh, or learning about that race's culture or learning about that religion. And you're kind of coming at it from a perspective of, hey, look, I've made an effort. I've 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 learned a bit about you. And and, and here's my take. I actually think audiences are really, really receptive to it. And I try really hard, or at least I should be past tense. When I used to tour, I tried really hard to make sure if I were to go to a new country, my first five minutes would reference something that I've noticed about the local country. And you don't need to work very hard to, to pick up on something which the locals haven't picked up. Because you know, just having a fresh pair of eyes does give you a, a perspective that someone that is you know, seeing those streets every day uh, doesn't see and you know even even you know very comparatively poor countries like nepal i, I did a a routine in nepal uh, about about 18 months ago um you know and, and i i talked about um you know like there, there's there's a um, they kind of realize that they they charge foreigners a lot of money to walk down the same streets that they can walk down for free so if there's a street that kind of passes through like a world heritage site, there's a special gate that tourists have to go through. And you pay a ticket, and you know they, they kind of find that quite funny when I when I point that out, right? Um, and I said, you know, I wouldn't mind it, but you know, most of these most of these buildings they're not even done. They're not world heritage sites. They're world heritage construction sites, and <laughs> nice. like that, that is a bit mean, right? It's a bit cruel, particularly when you remember that, the, that Nepal has suffered earthquakes and, and whatnot. But you know it, it, I'd come at it from a perspective of, you know I'd spent a day or two in in in, uh, in Kathmandu and I really you know I'd thought about it and I told them how much I liked their country and I made some jokes about their local food about Momo and how you can buy Momo in basically everything like petrol stations and so you know about the time by the time I got to that kind of joke the audience they seem to really like it um, and so I'm really you know I'm really conscious of the fact that you can be divisive on Stage and you can genuinely upset people. And also, I'm I'm obviously coming at it from a position of huge privilege, right? Like often I'm performing in my mother tongue, whereas my audience are often listening in the second language. Uh, you know, I'm coming often from a richer country. Uh, sometimes I'm even coming to a country that Britain used to used to, to rule over as part of the empire. And and there's there's that kind of subtext too that sometimes I, I address. Um, but but I think as long as you kind of show that you've done a little bit of homework and that you've you thought about it and you kind of care. I think people know that if if you say something which is on the on on the line of potentially being offensive I think people are more likely to give you the benefit of the doubt if they know that you you're coming at this
1: from a perspective of wanting to engage and, and being interested rather than purely to mock. Yeah I think it t- makes total sense like you're saying being on tour and going to different countries and then uh, allowing them into your act because no one wants to just see your act the same every night you know it's good to have like little nuances but I can only imagine that if you move to a country permanently for so many years and you continuously put up the same stick with the same, you people are like this. It's like, I don't, I mean, it, it may actually be pretty tough too. Cause I mean, I'm just saying it from an outsider's perspective. I mean, if they came up to me and said, go on then you do, you take this one trick pony, see what you can make of it. And I probably wouldn't have the ability to do so. So I respect them too. I, as much I love a like straight up offensive comedy, one of my favorite comedians is Bill Burr and I'm obsessed with his podcast. There's one section he's been doing recently. That I've just been loving it's um, that cunt down the street, and basically anyone from around the world can email in. It could be from Iran, it could be from Japan, it could be from the UK, and you just talk about the one asshole on your street that's being a dick, I don't know, he's kicking your like, dustbin over, or he's putting shit in your, in your mailbox, whatever, and it's just like a unifying that everyone around the world, no matter what culture, has an asshole down the road. That's funny. Really hilarious, and it's unifying, but still being in his vein of comedy. Anyway, let will just get to the question real quick. Yes. Sure. Yes, two hundred and fifty bucks, Ollie. Trip on your way to the stage and spill beer all over yourself. Uh, okay. Well,
2: yeah, I would gladly take the two hundred and fifty pounds because that that is more than I was paid for when this actually happened, which was Edinburgh Fringe about five or six years ago. It would have been one of my first times at the Fringe. I watched my friend Phil do his sketch show, which was quite late at the Pleasance at about eleven. Finished at eleven fifty, and I was due to MC a midnight show, which might my friend was doing and uh, it was a big opportunity for me i was very excited about it and i ran absolutely ran because my friend's show finished late ran to go and emcee this um, this late show my friend texted me asking if i was late and i said yes but i'm on my way please have a beer ready for me and he did and uh, and i i grabbed the beer ran on stage took the mic and i and i was kind of panting right and the audience could see that i was panting because i was completely out of breath and i said oh look, this is this is like It's been such a long day for me. Hey, guys, let me tell you about, tell me about my day. And I placed the drink on a ledge on the stage was in the caves, which is an Edinburgh venue where there's like big kind of solid bits of concrete all about the place. So I put the beer down there and I said, oh, guys, I'm just so tired. Right. I'm going to tell you these jokes. I'm going to be, I'm going to sit down when I do them. And without thinking at all, I sat down directly on this plastic pint glass that I literally just placed there that was full of beer And it did this this beautiful cascade where from each side of my ass cheek there was this stream of beer, and then it kind of trickled and cascaded down these two or three blocks like a a, a, a yeasty waterfall <laughs> and the, I mean the audience were laughing so hard. this was obviously the funniest thing that I have ever done and will ever do. And they, knew, you know, it was just so perfect. They knew it couldn't have been planned. And also it was legitimately dangerous. There was like footlights on the stages too. So no way, you know, <laughs> no way would this be part of the act. And the thing is I had another 10 minutes to do. And I knew that nothing I could do would be as funny as the fact that I've just sat, just sat cleanly on a fresh pint uh, when I really wanted that pint. And that's the other thing Like I was really would love, would love to have had that drink. And uh, because it was the fringe, I didn't get paid any money for that. You you do these things as favors to to friends who I'm sure my friend was already losing money doing that show. So uh, yeah, I will gladly take that
1: $250. I think you deserve it. That's hilarious. I I envision this to be your walking up to the stage and you trip on the final step and it goes all over you. Because in my head, it's like, Oh, you're just going to be the beer man for the rest of their lives as an audience. Yeah,
2: that's true. Well, there's actually there's a video of Andrew Doyle who got a pint thrown at him at the Fringe about 10 years ago, uh, which is worth looking on YouTube because he handles it fairly well, I must say. I mean, he really was threatened by the audience and and he carried on uh, after having a pint spilled on him. I actually I I can I can say this now because we didn't go ahead and do it. But for the special, uh, the Pig in Japan special, which was filmed on a boat in Berlin, I thought it'd be really funny. So you know how comedy specials normally start with a comedian looking super cool, right? So they're like, they're sat backstage in a dressing room. They hear their name being called on stage. They stub out their cigarette and they confidently walk into a really full room of fans screaming. And like the reality is, like I've seen friends uh, film their specials. The reality is not like that. Like you're, you know, worried about the cameras or something gone wrong, or there's a technical hitch or, you know, like they, they've undersold or there's always something, right? It's never as cool as it, as it actually seems unless you're really you know top of your game. So I thought it'd be funny to have an intro to my special of of everything going wrong, uh, of like, you know, tickets having been undersold. And what I wanted to do was to fall in the river where the boat was on and do the whole show, do the whole show dripping wet. And I almost went went ahead with this idea of uh, of performing my full hour show while just, you know, literally dripping on the floor. But unfortunately, the, the boat vetoed it. And also there was just some other issues. Like I was wearing a radio mic. How would that work? And like, but the moment, you you know, when you start looking at practical things, you realize what a terrible idea it was. Uh, And also I I did actually, I I caught, I caught um, the flu or something. I had a real temperature the day that I filmed the special. So I think that might've even killed me if if I'd actually jumped into, jumped into an actual river. Uh, But yeah, I, um, yeah, I think I would still manage to do the show Like, I, I think you would address it You'd obviously have to address it And I think you, you could just Carry on, I think my style, I could just Carry on, I could, I could kind of walk yeah, away Yeah,
1: I'd be fine with that, I think There's some acts which kind of go upon their status And where they stand, and you know I don't think Jack D, for example, would never get away with Something like that, unless he would just moan Well,
2: well, I think he'd, well, may, well you say that But maybe he'd enjoy it, you know, that's just another Reason for Jack D to be grumpy on stage
1: Yeah, perhaps,
2: you know Maybe Frank Boyle. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's actually quite an interesting thought experiment because it, it kind of looks to the, the strength of that particular act's persona, you know? Yeah. H- how strong is their persona? Can you imagine how they would deal with it?
1: Yeah, I'm going to do that after this, uh, this episode, I think. Just place comedians in that situation.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting thought experiment.
1: All right, the next question, Ollie. Um, 500 bucks. Your future life partner believes the Earth is flat and the world's government is a sex cult.
2: Um, oh, so, so this is someone that I'm in a committed relationship with And then they reveal this
1: Yes, I believe that uh, they are your perfect person though, So you may end up spending the rest of your life With this person uh,
2: But they think the world is flat And
1: w- w- what specifically about a sex cult? The world government the, you know, the Illuminati as such Is a sex cult
2: Well, as you get older You realise that having Having red lines in relationships Is a pretty bad idea you know you sometimes you you grow up and you think oh my you know people say things like oh there's no way i could date someone who's got tattoos or there's no way i could date someone who doesn't you know whatever it is and then you you know you realize all that's nonsense so maybe there is a universe in which i just overlook the fact that my partner thinks that the earth is flat i suppose it depends how militant they are about it and how much it becomes part of their personality because i don't really mind people thinking stupid things like i think it's quite good for the world to have people thinking wrong things and you know that's how we make like i really really don't think it's a problem to be like ignorant (laughs) i I, Mm. I think i think think we should stop shaming people for just not not caring about knowing everything about the world however what i do mind is people who like make it their personality or make it their life's mission to persuade other people um because you know even we just need to look at history to know that even when people were right right like even Uh, you know, when there was just absolutely overwhelming evidence that like gravity was a thing that people weren't persuaded overnight. It took years and you just, so you just don't need to be that one militant person, uh, you know, standing on a pedestal shouting about it every day or more realistically tweeting about it every day. So I think if they thought the the world was flat, but that just didn't, you know, that only ever came into play when I was about to get on a flight and they were like, don't fall off the edge. And I'll be like, okay, fine. (laughs) I think that's fine. But if, uh, if it was like, you know, they were part of some society where not only is the earth flat, but there are other consequences to that and that keeps them up at night, then I think that probably
1: would be a problem. I'd say there's somewhere in between. You know, they, they believe this thoroughly. There's no way you can convince them. Um, it's not like exactly who they are because who they are as a person that you had fallen in love with. It's just that exactly like you said, if you were to say, oh my God, I've spent, I've uh, traveled the world around the globe uh, doing my comedy and she's kind of like, you mean... Around the globe, (laughs) not around it.
2: uh, uh, (laughs) Oh, you mean back and forth, back (laughs) and forth, like a chessboard. Yeah. (laughs) Um, it's really interesting, isn't it? This this kind of reminds me. I'm not sure why. Probably because um, Mark is his name, Mark Dolan, Mark Nolan, the guy who used to present Balls of Steel. Do you know that show? I remember that guy. Yeah. Okay. Well, he he's now uh, one of these radio talk presenters, kind of spreading uh, daft conspiracy theories. Uh, but he. On his show, they had someone who, looking back, it was pretty bad. But she was a beautiful young woman, blonde woman, who was on a date with someone and then would reveal that she couldn't walk normally. Like she had some kind of disability where she, she, you know, her legs wouldn't walk straight. And then they would film the guy's reaction as to whether he did a run or whether he stayed. And looking back, this is cruel and awful, and it, there's no way it would make it would make it onto the TV today.
1: Yeah,
2: but I guess it's that it's that kind of thing, right? It's like, oh, they're brilliant, but there's a caveat. Now, that that's obvious. That was obviously their premise. I would question whether having someone that takes slightly longer to walk is is an actual is an actual relationship <laughs> deal breaker. But funnily enough, some some men did do a runner, which is pretty awful, I think. Yeah. Uh, but you know, each to their own. Whatever. Uh, so I guess it's it's that kind of thought experiment right like something else is revealed does that change everything? I think I would still go back to my point that if they can't be persuaded then that's actually a very good thing because then I wouldn't bother yeah exactly I think the most frustrating most frustrating times are when you you know they can be persuaded and you've just got to work hard at it but if if it really is a lost cause then you just wouldn't bring it up, would you
1: no, and I think this would personally help your comedy if she would be okay with you telling stories or making things up, you know? Right. I think could probably, you could probably get a good special out of it, but that's just me. You know, I don't think that she would find it disheartening if you were to make fun of her. I mean, she's probably very low-hearted. Well, and um,
2: particularly if, if, as you say, she believed it as strongly as you say she did, because normally people who are very, very firm in their beliefs, um, they don't mind being made fun of like like i i think to say the mormon church who was supportive of the book of mormon because they're so you know dogmatic they're so militant in their beliefs that they're so sure that they're right it it, they see the book of mormon as 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 kind of a homage you know like they it's only people it's only people that are slightly concerned they might be wrong that they get very very cross when people criticize them
1: so would you take 500 bucks how about 400 bucks
2: well, do you know what, the, the problem that we have here, right, is this transaction I would probably have to talk about with my partner, and I think that might upset them.
1: <laughs> How so? Because, I mean, they believe within their beliefs, and you believe in yours, and you just come in and saying, hey, honey, guess what, we can get 500 bucks just by saying that you believe in this.
2: Oh, well, if we can cheat you, if we can lie, then yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah, fuck it, yeah, yeah. That's what my partner actually thinks. Uh, no, I, I think that's 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 you know I would have to say look, people are kind of making fun of you and people think that you're so stupid that I'm going to be rewarded with five hundred. <laughs> I'm going to get a dividend for your own ignorance.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure I like those optics. Well, I mean, you could don't say anything if you want to be that guy. Mm, but I don't, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Really, I wouldn't want to keep
2: a secret either. I think I'm going to decline it. And I think no amount of money could like i I don't know what point you've got involved (laughs) i I don't know what you're doing like i'm not sure why it's up to you to reveal this and i'm not sure why if if at the moment that my partner does go you know the earth is flat right i'm not sure
1: why you're then popping up with a checkbook there's no real rationality with the show we just go with it i can change the question if you like if it's not something that you could consider with payment
2: uh well, if it was something like, if it was some so absolutely outrageous sum of money, then obviously I would say to my partner, I'm being offered an outrageous sum of money. Let's take it. But I think like $500, it's, not, it's enough for it to just be like, it does kind of feel like a little bit of compensation. <laughs> I can double it. I think, I think I'm going to decline. I will politely decline.
1: Okay, we'll go with another question then. For $500, Ollie, would you have lifelong edible glitter in all of your drinks? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't mind having a fabulous life. That's the light version. <laughs> that's the PG, that's the non-PG version.
2: Yeah, I'm down. It's a yes from me.
1: It's not a tough, it's not too hard of a question, is it? I mean, the only issue is that yes, it is probably going to be very annoying.
2: Yeah, no, but only it's only annoying for other people. I'm, I'm used to it by this point.
1: Well, also, I mean, I don't know how much you consume on a regular basis. I mean, it's also going to be in your water supply. Um, and I don't know how it accumulates in your body and the nutritional value of edible glitter. These are the questions.
2: Well, that's that's a good point. Uh, yeah, I suppose I haven't really thought it through. I mean, I'm, I'm presuming the glitter's edit- uh, edible. Yeah. Uh, yes. And, and also, that is just a fantastic story, isn't it? <laughs> just, the, just the guy... Because, you know... I think most people are just scared of not being memorable. And uh, t- it reminds me, there's a, there's a speaker. And, and obviously, it hasn't worked for him because I don't remember his name. But I've heard a story of a speaker that always goes on stage with a pineapple because he's the pineapple guy. And you remember him because oh, yeah. he's the pineapple guy. Obviously, it hasn't worked because I don't know his name. <laughs> but, you know, you, you're the glitter guy. And that's, you know, that's great. So and also because it's like, look, this has been done to me. Right. It's not like I'm bringing glitter and annoying. It's like, yeah, guys, sorry. you know, I'm the glitter guy. I'm born with this. You can't. People can't be angry with you.
1: No, I would. I really want to be at your autopsy, though. The <laughs> person doesn't know opens you up. Like, oh, fuck, get a Oh man. Imagine that. And, and also, and I, I hate to
2: turn the podcast a slightly sour shade, but imagine if you get sick, you know, imagine if you have to deal with you know, <laughs> eating some dodgy food or something, and it, it comes out one, one, one or the other way. <laughs> oh, that wouldn't be pleasant, would it?
1: Like a person party popper with carrots in the s- second hand. Oh, yeah. grim. Okay, can we call it four hundred bucks?
2: Uh,
1: no, I think I think we'll, we'll stick with the original. Please. Okay, that's fine. Oh dear. That's a jolly one. I think that's a bit more jolly than the, the rest we've been asking.
2: Yeah, I like, I like, I like that one. I don't like the, the idea of having to confront my partner's own idiocy.
1: So, Ollie, for a thousand bucks, would you play a board game against your grandmother? And when you start to lose, you flip the table on her. Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent. She'd find that very funny. <laughs> she would. I don't know who she is.
2: Yeah. Well, so she um, I, I, unfortunately, I've only got one grandmother which is still with us, and she had a brain hemorrhage uh, about a decade ago and so she and she hasn't fully recovered uh you know she she's still got issues with gripping things and her, her arm shakes difficult part of her life and, and there's been moments where i think she's been very depressed about the fact that she once had a very uh, active life that's now been taken away from her on the other hand she's got an excellent sense of humor and um like she she does find it really funny when we play tricks on her on the basis that she can she can't she can't hold stuff for very long uh, and so, definitely, I would find a reason to like play chess or some board game with her, and her, and ask her to place the piece on so, somewhere very specific on the board, knowing that knowing that she couldn't do it, and, <laughs> and use that as a reason to say, right, that's it, forget it. Uh, so yeah, hundred percent. And I would spend that money uh, that you gave me on um on taking her for, for day trips out to go and get cheesecake, which is
1: what she enjoys doing. Well, don't make me try to haggle you down here. I can't take a cheesecake away from an uh, old lady. No, no, you definitely can't. And you know what's interesting? Actually, you, you probably can because she's she's got
2: very modest uh, tastes. Her favourite cheesecake is the Nando's cheesecake. Now I didn't even know that <laughs> Nando's did cheesecake until she spotted it on a menu. But there's no Nando's where she lives, which is Banbury. So we have to drive about thirty minutes to either Oxford or is it not Sirencester? By by, oh, I don't know. I can't remember. Where, 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 I can't remember where we end up driving. it has been so long, right? I haven't seen her for every year because of the pandemic. Uh, but yeah, we have been known to just to go and you know just get dessert, which is I think you do that in in like upmarket restaurants, don't you? Oh, well, we'll just take the dessert course. But but doing that in a Nando's, I think, is a real flex. <laughs> and we'll we'll jump straight to the, the sweets menu, please.
1: <laughs> okay, my counter is nine hundred bucks. The game has to be Monopoly. You have to pick up the pieces.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I would do that anyway because she she couldn't. So yeah, yeah. Easily, 100, 900, 900 goes a long way in Nando's.
1: Oh yeah, okay. I'll throw in a cheesecake too, just for yeah. Cool. I like that. <laughs> Chess is easy, man. I mean, picking up those pieces fine, but all those dollars, all the notes, the thimble.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. But then again, her house is
1: immaculately clean, so it would be it would be easy. So we're going to take a quick ad break now. Um, so far it stands. I have managed to get away to do many things. He's haggled me upwards. I may have haggled him down once or twice. Who knows? But he's the man eating edible glitter and all of his drinks from this point onwards. So we'll be right back after these messages. Japan by River Cruise, episodes 1 to
2: 54, The Best Bits. Listen to the full episodes at japanbyrivercruise.com.
0: And this was a river that, during the early Edo period, there was a private merchant named Ryoi Sumi no Kura, who cleared this river to make it easier for him to ship rice and grain and charcoal, but also to smuggle concubines. And one of those concubines would go on to become one of the country's most prolific political assassins. I think I bought a game. I think I bought a Wii game that was based off this. really excited. It's this... Beautiful, glamorous boat. And the onboard chef comes out and he announces that he will sashimi anything that anyone can catch during the cruise. And I swear to God, as if on cue, this seagull lands right in the middle of the deck. That they've been operating since the early 1800s, but they're still finding ways to innovate.
2: Yes and no. Because, say for example, the purchase method. They've been quick to accept new payment methods like Bitcoin or Suka. But they only issue refunds in Monk which the bank informed me went out of circulation in 1870. Depending on what you count as the headwaters of the Tornay River, that one
0: actually might be a few kilometers longer. Yeah, I mean, length is relative, and what you're saying is that where you measure from is what actually matters.
2: Yeah, and I said exactly that to my ex, but she refuses to retract her defamatory
0: remarks. I do say that about seawater, but technically you're not supposed to drink brackish water either. Yes, funayoi. Funayoi is the word for motion sickness on a boat. But it can actually be faster to just say haki so, which means I'm going to throw up. Now, if you think you're going to poop your pants, you say... Japan by River Cruise, the only podcast that purports to be an authority on the world of Japanese river cruises. A new show every week at com.
1: And we are back. Ollie, have you enjoyed yourself so far?
2: yeah i have this has been interesting it's a good format i must say i'm i'm a i'm a fan of podcasts i'm a fan of radio comedy and i'm a fan of format shows and i do
1: think you're onto something thanks i'm enjoying the silliness sometimes it's silly sometimes it's more of an interview podcast but you've given me so many anecdotes it's been i've had to sit back and do nothing it's been perfect you need to you should honestly you should pitch this to some some tv people because imagine
2: you know you can imagine this actually working right that You know, the the money doesn't go to the celebrity, but it goes to a charity and the tasks they actually do there. And then Uh, this
1: would I could definitely see a a production company picking this up. You see, I've never seen Taskmaster, but I can't imagine this is similar, but hypothetical.
2: Yeah. uh, Yeah. I mean, I I wouldn't say I mean, but actually that that, that works in your favor. Like everything I've learned about how TV programs get commissioned, because I've tried this year to um, I've been in talks with a couple of production companies uh, to produce uh, a game show that, that, that I co-produce uh, at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And kind of the main, thing, the main question I ask is, well, what else is it like? Like, like it, it seems that the formula for getting something on TV is you've got to pick two successful
1: things and explain how yours is like them with a twist. My, mine tends to be Sean Evans' Hot Ones in a similarity to the interview style I want to provide. But he, he's so good. He's very good, Sean Evans. I don't know if you've seen any of his... No, I can't say I'm familiar. Um I'm honored though that you would think this is good enough for any sorts of television. Um, oh, yeah,
2: you, definitely not you presenting it, but the idea for sure. Yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, not me. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. You're doing very well. It's fun. We'll
1: okay, get John Richardson or someone useful. <laughs> well, you're quite similar in style team, aren't you? Quite kind of un- un- understated. I have no idea. I I've never I've never done any stand up comedy, by the way. I was trying to until the pandemic hit. I had my entire set ready and then couldn't go out and do it, so I'm hoping sometime.
2: Well, there's no there's no rush. I and mean, that's the good thing about stand-up, that you, you really can do it at any period of your life. And I know a stand-up comedian who is professional in her
1: 80s. So, yeah, there's, there's no, no rush at all. I mean, George Carlin is one of my heroes, and, I mean, he never stopped. Exactly. Anyway, 25,000 bucks. Oh, wow. This is serious money. Yeah. It's a serious question. Would you go through the fate of 33-year-old Leo Shoulders? Do you know who Leo Shoulders is? No. Should I Google him? You can. Oh, then I can uh, speak to the people on the podcast and tell them what it's about.
2: Okay. Who, um, okay. I've, I've got an obituary of
1: Leo Shoulders. Oh, wow. Oh, is he dead? Is that... Okay. Well, maybe this is a different <laughs> Leo Shoulders. I'm now. not asking you to die. I don't know. There's another guy. <laughs> for 25 grand. Do you want to kill yourself? <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, um okay well maybe maybe um maybe this is not the person you're talking about what uh the name shoulders is it or soldiers shoulders i'm gonna see if he's dead i hope he's not dead okay so i found i found an obituary of um leo shoulders 86 passed april the 6th 2014 in ohio health med central mansford hospital after <laughs> illness <laughs> No, that's not the guy Okay, well, I mean, he, he seems like a lovely man. There's a picture of him, with a, and he's got a lovely smile. There's an option here for me to send flowers.
1: Oh, no. uh, He
2: survived by his son and daughter. Oh, I hate reading stuff like this.
1: Buddy, this isn't the this isn't show.
2: Okay, he was a member of the Mount Herman Baptist Church, where he served on the Father's Board and faithfully attended Sunday school. Leo enjoyed gardening, working in his yard, fishing, and never missed listening to a
1: Cleveland Indians game. Leo, I'm sorry. Um, this is another Leo Shoulders from New York. Okay. Okay. So this Leo Shoulders just a guy from New York in his 30s just waiting for a bus like any other person and then all of a sudden the ground underneath him opened up. He fell six feet down into a puddle full of rats. Okay. He was stuck there for over half an hour before anyone even noticed because he wouldn't scream because he was worried a rat would crawl into his mouth. Ugh. So he had to be lifted out um, from the hole and he spent some time recovering in the hospital. I think he had some bruises and cuts and stuff. And obviously, some mental scarring after that. Mm. So, what I'm asking you is: twenty five thousand bucks, would you fall unknowingly? So,
2: my, my, yeah. So, my question is: do I have exactly the same outcome as him? Because there's a parallel universe where I fall into these rats, and they give me some disease or something, which it seems
1: that he didn't get. He did not get. So, you have the same same outcome. Of course, you don't. You're not aware of this when you agree to this.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 As it's happening, I could I, I could imagine I'm going to die. Right. Yeah. Um, I think it would be quite formative. I think anyone that's had a near-death experience that's written about it seems to say pretty positive things about it. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, it's very rare that someone talks about having a near-death experience and goes, "Well, I wish that never happened." Because I guess that's imp- it's implied, right? You wish you didn't have a near-death experience, but they always kind of say there were some positives from it. And on the basis that all that happens is I'm just with some rats for 30 minutes fearing for my life. I think I probably would do it. Yes. I will take your offer. Could I get you down to 22 and a half? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think, yeah, that's fine. We'll keep it at that. I won't handle it anymore. I think that's pretty fair. Uh, Yeah, I think, I think, I think that is fair. And also, you know, presuming it's not going to cost me money. Like, although this happened in America, I'm sure his, his medical bills would be more than that. I'm hoping that this can happen where I can take advantage of the NHS.
1: For sure. Well, whatever country you're in when this happens, I guess, will be the the outcome. I don't know how it is in Kuala Lumpur. Um, that, well, actually, you just reminded me, I need to renew my health insurance. So <laughs> it's actually <laughs> a very good point. I need to be very careful uh, until I've done that. I'm glad to have helped. Um, so we have two questions left, Ollie. Oh, no, we have three questions left. My apologies. Um, this is another throwaway silly question that I like to ask a few people. So, for fifty thousand dollars, Ollie, you can only be sexually attracted to fruit for the rest of your life.
2: Okay, so the problem is, I'm as I mentioned, as I am, I'm in my mid twenties. I'm twenty nine, so I haven't. I'm presuming I haven't yet kind of gone over the cliff of my sexual prime. Uh, which I appreciate that, that sounds disgusting coming out of my mouth, but you know, if you were asking me this when I was kind of like, well, I've had all the fun I'm going to have, then, you know, maybe I would quite enjoy, you know, being disgusting with a pomegranate in my (laughs) sixties. But I think because, because I'm not, I
1: think I may decline your offer. Maybe you could be the pineapple man instead.
2: (laughs) Yes. Well, I did consider that, but actually I, I, I don't know how monetizable it was because I'm not, I'm not that good looking. So I don't like, if I was really, really good looking, then I could probably make money charging people to watch me pleasure myself with fruit. And not only would I enjoy it, but so would they presumably because they're paying money to see it. But I don't even think there's a monetization option either. uh, Unless I go very, you know, very niche. And I I just, (laughs) I don't think I want to, do that. So I think I will be declining that offer. How
1: about we ask a second question?
2: Uh, it's sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, do you drink coffee? Yes. Perfect. $50,000. Oh, all the coffee you drink from now on is just slightly too cold.
2: Oh, <laughs> uh, well, actually, so uh, since I changed to only drinking iced coffee, because <laughs> iced coffee you don't need to add any sugar. You don't need to add any milk. It's just very nice as it is. That's fine. So I think on a loophole, <laughs> I'm going to accept and I'm going to spend all your money on on lovely cold brew. Uh, I don't know if I should flip it to just a little too warm. How about room temp? Well, all coffee you drink is well, room that, temp. Yes. Well, well, actually, that is annoying. That is annoying. <laughs> having a, having an iced coffee that then becomes room temperature is really not nice.
1: Especially where you're living right now.
2: Uh, you Like it really needs to be on ice. Oh, exactly. And that happens in an instant in Malaysia. So I, for the rest of my life, well, I suppose I'm not that addicted to drinking coffee. Like I could, if I want to have that caffeine, I could get it in other ways. So for $50,000, what would I do with $50,000? I would probably, you know, if you made it something like $100,000, something which would really be life-changing, I'm not saying $50,000 wouldn't change my life. But $100,000 is like big one-third deposit on a house or something, something like that, um, then I'd probably do it,
1: and I just wouldn't be a coffee guy. Well, we're, we're getting to that price range, but how would say um, instead of the rest of your life, it's for the next 20 years. Oh, yeah, yeah, fine. Can I get you down to 45000 Yeah, fine. Can I get you down to 38000
2: No, I think you're taking the piss now.
1: Can I get you down to 42 and a dollars Yeah, fine. to be honest with you the hundred thousand question i haven't planned yet so i'm just going to read my favorite ones okay oh um do you eat much pizza yes i yes i enjoy eating pizza i enjoy making it too hundred thousand dollars Ollie. every pizza you eat has burnt base and comes with pineapple
2: hmm so what do you mean by burnt do you mean like kind of charred like neapolitan style because i'm up
1: for that a little bit more than your preference, perhaps.
2: Hmm. I do like pizza. Uh, you know, but it's not like my favorite thing. I do, I'd do. say it's delicious. And when you have a good slice of pizza, you remember quite how good it is. Uh, I double, Yeah. Hmm. $100,000. I suppose I could spend that money on kind of other pe- pizza adjacent foods. Like you're not going to deny me flatbreads, are you? I'm not.
1: Yeah, I think I would take it to be honest. And I get you down to eighty-nine thousand.
2: Uh,
1: yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. We'll do that. That's a lot of pizza, depending if you're a pizza fan. Yeah, well, I guess that that's just me eating this pizza for now on, isn't it? It would possibly be. I don't know how much you like pineapple on a pizza. I mean, you must really want a pizza. I hate it. Yeah,
2: I really don't like pineapple, but but again, you know, I would just pick it off.
1: With this show when I ask people on the questionnaire like what's your least favorite food everyone says Brussels sprouts for whatever reason you
2: never get them you never get uh, I, I you just don't don't have them Brussels sprouts are so rarely an item on a, on a menu they're avoidable and it's not like they are very avoidable you're absolutely right it's not like you know anchovies which somehow make it into pasta sometimes or you know i I think
1: it's um yeah, I think you make a good point. Or your massive fuck-off mushroom that you just find on your plate. Exactly. Nothing, nothing to do with them. Okay, Ollie, for quarter of a million. This is the big money question. Are you ready?
2: Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: So when writing into me, you told me that your biggest fear is closing a door and never being able to open it again. Where did this fear come from?
2: Um, I think it's the fact that you do reach a certain age where you realize that you know some. Like, I think when you're younger in your early 20s, you have this idea of absolute invincibility, right? Like, it's just inconceivable that you can ever have an injury or an illness that would uh, debilitate you. And it's inconceivable that, I mean, maybe this is also a product of my background as well. You know, I'm lucky to have had supportive parents and, you know, really good education. But, I, you know, I genuinely believed if, if I put my mind to something, I could achieve it. But firstly, I realized that's just not true. Uh, that's not true for me nor anyone. Or practical. Some things just are out, out of your reach. And exactly. And also, just as you get older, it gets a lot harder. You know, just you, you, you start to reach ages where schemes are not targeted at you, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the, the 18 to 25 scheme or the under 30 scheme. And I think that you need to have a huge amount of confidence to say that, you know, the, the closing of a door, the closing of, of an opportunity is a positive thing. Right, it's not it's not the the loss of an opportunity, uh, but rather it's you having renewed focus on what it is you, that you are doing. And I I saw a tweet which was um coronavirus a uh, coronavirus is so unfair. If I wanted to waste my twenties, I would have just gone into stand up comedy. <laughs> uh, which you know the, 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 it it does occur to me that you know there's a parallel universe where I could have used my law degree and become a lawyer instead, or I, I you know before. Um, I took stand-up as serious as I do now. I had, uh, I had a startup and, you know, that went very well. And, I, I, you know, I wonder, you know, I, I wonder what would happen if I'd found, founded another startup this year, you know, instead of pursuing other things. And so, I, you know, the, the, there is a, a point at which you have to accept that eventually your decisions are going to kind of catch up with you. I, I, yeah, maybe that fear just came from the fact that after I left Japan, i never I never did the whole kind of goodbye farewell dinner. I never like formally left my agency. I was just kind of vaguely on the books for a bit, and I never really told people I was gone for good, you know, because I was a kind of a half a chance I'd be coming back and And so eventually you just kind of realize, okay, well, that's that period of my life is now over. And if I were to go back to Japan, circumstances would be different. all my a lot of my friends, which were there at the time, wouldn't be there anymore. and just likewise, with um i i was in paris for a year as part of an exchange year i was lucky enough to do the erasmus program where you get to you basically get to go to a european university for essentially free part of me thinks just what a wonderful year that was and you feel pretty nostalgic but then i think well that was only a good year because of the context because i didn't really have to worry too much about money because i had a part-time job i had this bursary and you know that meant that i didn't worry about things and i was Kind of feeling pretty carefree at the time, and I was of that age where lots of other people were interested in meeting me and so if I were to go back to Paris now and try and recreate that life, I just couldn't and so as you get older, you acknowledge that certain certain periods of your life were only ever possible because of a, a certain alignment of circumstances which will now never happen again and th- there's two ways of dealing with that either you're you're excited by that or you or you get upset by that. And, you know, I can't honestly say that I find that prospect exciting all the time.
1: Yeah, I've literally just gone through a very similar process in my life. So that was really useful to hear. It's like um, I lost my job around November, October, but I didn't lose it per se. They said, we don't need you anymore. It was more the the coronavirus started making restrictions in bars and restaurants. So reading the the laws and the government regulations in, in Sweden and then finding, oh, perhaps my shifts will reduce and they reduced them reduced and then I stopped getting them and I never really had a proper discussion with my boss and it was my the best job I've had in bartending I've been there for longer than two years and before that I had left there gone to another bar and come back returned and so there's a bit of a weird sensation between me and the owner because he trusted me for so long and then I moved to another bar and came back and there was a weird undertone and that's kind of just been lingering and I've had no I've, exactly like you said I haven't been able to shut the door behind me which has been a bit of a, an issue mm. and I don't really know where to go from here I mean I'm going to try and call him and see if I can get some shifts later at some point whenever this lifts but the thing is I'm moving to the countryside at the end of the year so I may never have that job again I may never work with my same colleagues again so it's that closing the door um, which yes. we just discussed maybe you would have actually preferred a, a clean break yeah so for a quarter of a million Ollie the fate of the two thousand and ten Chilean mining accident. Do you remember?
2: Uh, yeah, I, I do remember it happening. Yeah, um, I, I actually I d- didn't. Um, James a did a really funny routine about it. He did. He inspired me for this joke. I just remembered it. <laughs> okay. we living through that. Oh, so for two hundred fifty grand, I, I I'm one of those miners. Yes. But but I survive.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. Because as far as I remember, no one died, right? I don't believe so. I'm pretty uh, I really should do my research on this show. I was too busy researching you <laughs> to research. Chilean miners. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure, as far as I remember,
2: unless I'm getting it confused with the, the Thai um, cave incident. Uh, oh, I remember that one too. Which I, again, I don't think there was any fatalities there. I'm fairly confident there wasn't. So, yes, on the basis that I won't die, I think for the same reason that I said yes to the other. You know, falling in a, a bath of rats. I think I would do it. I think. I think. Mm-hmm. You know, it would be. It'd be really formative. I think it'd be. You know, it'd be something that would improve the quality of the rest of my life. And, and I know. I know it sounds easy to say, and maybe that's. Maybe I come across as like belittling these people's experiences, but I was very moved. I watched this this video that was shared by a friend on uh, people who have been diagnosed as HIV positive. And, and it was, it was a really inspiring video because this person was basically saying being diagnosed, there's no way of getting rid of it, but it can be treated. What it has done is for the first time in my life, it's given me a sharp focus on my own body. And I've learned more about my body and how it works than at any other period of my life. And as a result of having this, I'm now healthier. I'm exercising more. I'm, you know, aware of how my body works and, I don't recall them going as far as saying they're, they're glad they got it or it was necessarily a positive, but certainly they came out of it saying, you know, they came out of it as, uh, as, as having a, a better outlook on life than, than before they had it. And I was really inspired by that. I really liked that. Uh, and, and, and I, I was thinking, you know, I hope if ever I, uh, you know, suffer some kind of trauma, um, you know, I, I remember that at some point in the future I will be in a privileged position that I have the benefit of having gone through this trauma uh, and and I can use that to to make the rest of my life better and you know maybe everything will kind of average out so I think I probably would take I would take that opportunity and I'd be very glad of the money too i would probably probably do a book tour as well probably right <laughs> probably write, probably write, write a memoir maybe get some more twitter followers
1: uh, if, if i if i can also bring this conversation
2: back down to earth
1: could i get you to do it for two hundred
2: fifteen thousand? um i think by this point we are you know we are kind of talking about rounding errors aren't we after we get buy a house money we, you know really we're just now talking about the quality of my kitchen so yeah fine
1: yeah 215 nice so this is a part in the show where I give you the chance to take the mic and speak directly to the audience, um, tell them who you are, what you're doing and uh, where they can find you, your social medias and stuff. And while you do that, I will be adding up the total of your price. Yeah, well, if you've listened this far, thanks very much uh, for listening.
2: My name is Ollie Horn. I used to be a stand-up comedian until the pandemic made comedy illegal. Uh, I, If you enjoy podcasts, I have two podcasts uh, myself. One is called Japan by River Cruise. And it's a podcast where, alongside stand-up comedian and friend Bobby Judo, who is an American TV presenter who lives in Japan, uh, we purport to take an in-depth look at the Japanese river cruise industry each week and also talk to journalists and academics and experts about uh, politics and economics and stuff, but mainly river cruises. Uh, I also am a fan of food, both eating it and cooking it. And so I also have a podcast called My Signature Dish, where I talk to talented cooks and find out... Their secrets for their signature recipe. Not sure when you'll be listening to this, but there's a small chance I'll be uh, either on tour near you, um, or indeed only only existing online. So, uh, if if you'd like to buy a copy of my special, that's available at olliehorn.com If you want to stay in touch with me, then I'm on Twitter at tweets I think by this point, if you're interested, you've already googled. If you're not interested. This continues to be infuriating. So I will
1: uh, now hand back. Awesome. So, Ollie, do you think you did well? Do you think you did badly? Why do you think you've come here?
2: I don't know. I don't, I, I mean, I, I've tried to, to, you know, I've, I've tried to, to go into this in the spirit that you intend. You know, I've really tried to take this seriously. And I've also tried to consider my current financial circumstances. Like, I've really
1: tried to answer as honestly as I can. That's all I ever ask of you. So you ready to know the price of your dignity today, Ollie? Uh, yes. Perfect. We've done a lot today, Ollie. We have, we, now you're sipping on cold coffee. You're eating pizza with pineapple on it, perhaps. You've fallen down in a hole full of rats. Um, you've even gone through the fate of the Chilean miners. And for what amount of money? Specifically, this amount, Ollie, you have earned $371,285. How does that sound?
2: That's not bad. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Um, I'm up for
1: that. Yeah, that's the show. <laughs> Did you enjoy yourself, Ollie? I had, I had great fun.
2: Hey, thanks so much for having me, man. This has been great. This is. Uh, this has definitely asked me questions I'd never been an- answered before.
1: Perfect. So we're going to leave us now with a clip of Ollie stand up. Yeah. Anything else to say before we hang up, Ollie? No.
2: Thanks. Uh, thanks for your time. If you have listened all the way to the end, thanks for sticking with us.
1: Perfect. So this has been Ainsley with the Price Tag Podcast and uh, thank you for listening. Goodbye.
2: I came here in February and because I'm British, I stayed. (laughs) It's in our blood. It's what we do. But I did have to make the decision, right? Where do I want to spend this pandemic, right? You know, uh, do I go back to the UK or do I wait in Malaysia? And I did think it's scary, right? You know, did I really want to spend a health pandemic in a developing country with crumbling medical infrastructure and no leadership? I thought, no, I can't go back to the UK. I'll, um, I'll stay here where it's safe.